Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome, pen biters. This is Bite the Pen. I've decided this, you can change it, but I am King Holly, Jen, and sitting on the other side of the season is King Oak, Charlotte. Hello, King. Would you prefer to be King Holly since you have Holly? I actually like King Oak. I was resonating with that dude the whole time. So yeah. Good. I approve. Cool. <laughs> Which, I mean, I think that makes sense. You know, you're very like summery and like energetic and like solar energized. And I feel like I'm more of the like icy darkness snow person dude and we always say we're two halves of a whole because we're opposites but it works and it's balanced oh my gosh <laughs> so this is our story now um. <laughs> i love it we're the kings yeah do you want to kind of introduce us to the story so at this time of winter solstice or yuletide or christmas or whatever you celebrate at this time of year because you could be on the opposite side of the world, in which case you're enjoying some much different lighting. True. <laughs> but even they actually will celebrate Christmas. Isn't that weird? Interesting. I mean, cool, but kind of weird. Anyway, but today we're going to talk about a Celtic myth, which is celebrating the winter solstice. And it's called the Oak King and the Holly King. Northern Europe. That's a big deal in Northern Europe. I don't know if anybody in America knows what we're talking about, but they will now. I was going to say I didn't until now. <laughs> right. So thanks to you. <laughs> it's a simple tale, very symbolic. And this dynamic of opposite brothers, opposite deities, especially when it's within nature, is all around the world, just like our other stories that we've told. It seems to go around the world. We all share very similar experiences. Yes. I don't know if you mentioned this. I think you did. But it's the celebration of the winter solstice, and uh, which is the shortest day of the year, correct? Yes. Uh, this year, that's December 21st. December 21st. So set your timers. I don't know. And that's kind of fun. I don't know how time works, but I like it. It's fun. And I'm curious, before we actually delve into the story, I know how you feel, I think, about the days getting shorter, meaning the nights lasting longer. But just for our right. listeners, would you like to tell us, how do you feel about the winter solstice? <laughs> <laughs> well, being the Holly King that I am, um, I prefer the darkness, but not just because it's dark and cold, but because in more woo-woo terms, you know, that's the time and the season of introversion, of like going into oneself and family also, of course, but that hibernation phase is like super important because without the rest, you can't spring up in summer. I know that's confusing. You can't jump up in summer 
and and use all that energy that you stored. So I find it very necessary, but like this story will will show us, important to to balance out somebody psychologically, emotionally. You know, it's not just environmentally. Beautifully said. We don't even need to do the episode. That's the moral. <laughs> That's it, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly why the story is told. I love it. The only thing I'm going to add, yeah. which is that because I'm identifying with the Oak King. Yes. That physically and chemically, I don't react as well to shorter days. I mean, everybody depends on the sun, obviously. But <laughs> I think yeah. physiology-wise, my body does not – it doesn't do well in general indoors – so being outdoors mm-hmm. in the sun all the time has, I think, risen my serotonin levels. Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing like this very sweeping, sudden change of serotonin mm. levels. And I had to compensate in different ways, even more so than I have in mm. the past. But it makes sense because in dormancy, those chemicals are being released quicker and they're not lasting as mm-hmm. long. The sun has a <laughs> really profound effect on physiology and psychology, obviously, but the fact that our society doesn't work with that whole hibernation thing, like you just said, like they don't go inner. They just want to keep going all year, no matter what's happening. It's like they have a wall in front of them all the time. And that's very concerning psychologically. We're just really odd as a society. <laughs> that's a good way of putting that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the definition of, um, I think they call it sad, seasonal affective disorder. Like that's, a very normal and I was gonna say popular that's not the right term uh well known thing I don't know people a lot of people have it because of I think that exact re- I'm sure there are other reasons but you know that lack of serotonin b vitamins is that what the sun gives you or d I don't know but you know I and I feel the same way it just like I need sun too and I need to be like outside but my need for that is minuscule in comparison to liking to be indoors and in a darker environment when it's really bright out it gives me a headache and like i can't like concentrate like i'm just like it's distracting yeah so it's really interesting because it's still necessary and i need it and without it i think i would be super unhappy but in terms of how much i need of it it's a lot lower than what you would need this is our story. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't even tell the story anymore. It's our story. <laughs> anyway, that said, we should probably tell the story. They're probably like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. What the holly is going on? Ah, that's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> Before we tell the story, I want to give you a little bit of history and where it comes from. I probably misspoke earlier, as did many sources on the internet, saying that it's a Celtic myth, which is, eh, depending on what the definition of a myth is, it's not quite that. It came around in the 1970s. Interesting. But, you know, people of neo-paganism, which is just the new pagans, Mm. and that was Mm. during Enlightenment, really, where Christianity was cool enough to let other people bring in their beliefs again. <laughs> or people cool, were allowed thanks. to, I should say. I'm not really sure what happened mm-hmm. there. So they call them neo-pagans, and that includes Wiccans and witches, especially in Europe. This is especially Northern Europe. Mm. But I think the Wiccan group had somebody present the story, 
And they understood it because it had some of the Celtic beliefs in it from the pagan times, from pre-Christianity. And that was because they were nature-based, polytheistic, meaning multiple gods. They had gods for separate Mm. parts of their lives. It does make a lot of sense Mm. psychologically. And it was good that Mm. that was revived in a way that the symbolism of two particular plants came back, which is the oak and the holly plant. In Northern Europe, that's still a big deal. Whether you acknowledge Hmm. this tale or not, the Celtics will acknowledge those symbols. That's cool. So I think maybe that's why they get away with calling Mm. a Celtic myth. It's not really clear. But it is young. And it feels old. Whoever wrote it or came up with it did a really great job. I think, personally, I think it's called a myth because when you read the story, it has before people were here nature was doing this Mm -hmm. i mean would you categorize that as myth because of that unlimited undefined time and i mean yes and i would also do it by default like by excluding other things that it isn't i mean it's not a folk tale it's not a, a fairy tale it's not a novel it's you know it's not a children's story necessarily it really does kind of point to being in the myth category. Exactly. That's probably why everybody in Europe will call it a myth rather than, oh, there's okay. this like new thing going around called the Oak and Holly King. <laughs> they wouldn't say that, right? They would actually acknowledge it as part of the ritual. That's cool. I'm sure what's-his-face Joseph Campbell would really like that. Yeah, he would. Modern rituals. Right, because it's fulfilling yeah. a purpose. And for some reason, it was yeah. easier to do dualities like most myths will, like in the beginning, there was light and that was dark. There was good. There was evil. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see that in the story. And okay, one more thing. They're not actually twins, but I get a lot of like twin vibes from this. Because we talk about twin stories and their purpose in stories. And this feels very twinish. It's not, but it feels that way. Some of the stories actually call them twins. I found like two. Oh. Maybe we'll talk about that when we bring up that theme. Okay, cool. Because you're not wrong. I felt that too. As soon as they said brothers okay. who were equal, I'm like, yeah, those are twins. Twins. <laughs> I yeah. agree with you. Okay, cool. The overall symbolism here is that there's two battling brothers, the Oak King representing summer and the Holly King representing winter. The reason it's acknowledged at this time, the winter solstice, they would say because the Holly King has been ruling for half the year so far. So on the 21st, the longest night of the year, the Oak King will return. He will battle his brother, defeat his brother, and the light will gradually come back. Mm. As soon as we hit the 21st, that old king is going to start bringing the light back. And funnily enough, Mm. there's a lot of ties in with what Christianity did, which was, oh, we're bringing back the sun, S-U-N. Maybe this would be a good time to Mm. bring back the sun, S-O-N, as in Christ. Mm. So really, all around the world, this is pretty similar. I like it. Yeah, it's good stuff. And this version comes from actually a religious archive called Pathios. And it was posted by Erica Barron, 2016. Let's see what you listeners think. Here is the Oak and the Holly King. In the beginning, there were two gods who were brothers. And like many brothers, they struggled with each other for ascendance and power. One brother was the king of forces of life, light, and warmth. 
He wore a crown made of green oak branches and brought with him all growth and vitality, fertility and abundance. He was called the Oak King. His brother was the king of forces of death, cold, and darkness. He wore a crown made of the prickly holly branches and brought with him all withering and decay, stillness, and hibernation. He was called the Holly King. The brothers were identical in strength, and so year after year the same pattern was repeated. Each year, the Oak King would grow strong and mighty, and during his time of dominance, the light would gradually increase, bringing with it warmth and abundance. But each year, at the height of his power, he would be thrown down by the Holly King. In the wake of the Holly King's victory, the light would gradually wane, and as it did, cold would come, and the land would go dormant. But at the height of the Holly King's power, he would be challenged again by the Oak King and would fall and the cycle would repeat again and again and again. Alone, the brothers were equals, but soon there came a race of beings known as people. The people watched this cycle, and pretty soon they began to take sides. The people loved light and warmth, and they feared the darkness and cold. And so each year, they would celebrate the victory of the Oak King, but they would mourn the victory of the Holly King. When the two struggled with each other, the people would lend their strength their voices, their bodies, their minds, their spirits to the Oak King, but the Holly King was without their support. And so time went by. The people's adoration of warmth and light only grew, and so they began to invent ever new ways to find light in the darkness and warmth in the cold. And finally, if they wished it, they could spend all their time in the light they had created, and they could be warm all year long. But their efforts to stay always in the light and the warmth were not without consequences. Generations passed, and generations again, and the people did not at first notice the shifts in the balance. But finally, they could ignore it no longer. The people began to notice that darkness was disappearing from the land, driven out by millions of lights the people had created. Animals, birds, plants, even people began to suffer the effects of light unbalanced by darkness. But it was not just darkness that was disappearing, cold began to flee too. The whole world began to get warmer. Summer began sooner and lasted longer. Ice that had been frozen far longer than the longest memory of the oldest person in the land began to melt. Migrating birds and animals began to be confused about when to begin the migration. Plants found themselves rooted in climates that no longer supplied their needs. The air was changing, and the winds that had brought rain and taken it away again began to flow in unexpected directions, causing drought here and flood there. The people began to see that their support of warmth and light over cold and darkness had altered the balance of the whole world. They began slowly, one at a time, to realize that the Holly King was dying. And for the first time, this thought filled them with fear. What would happen if the balance continued to be destroyed? Could they even survive in a world without the Holly King? And in the world of the gods, the Oak King realized it too. And though they had been competitors all these many centuries, he also realized that he loved his brother deeply and could not live without him. The longest night came, and the Oak King and the Holly King met again, but this time the Oak King had no heart for the fight. He laid down his sword and spear. 
He came open-handed to his brother, who was struggling just to stay on his feet. The Oak King wrapped the Holly King in a tight embrace, and he promised to set aside their enmity and to help his brother heal. On the night when he usually claimed ascendance, he realized that the world was already too warm and too light, and so he laid the great oak crown on the head of his brother, took his hand, and each supporting the other, they went out into the world to see what could be done to restore balance. So that is the story. I think you did a great job of reading it, everybody. Applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think I've read the story that you sent me three or four times. So if you like want to really get familiar with it, I would say listen to it again. Um, if you have time, if you're in the car, just... I almost said rewind. Rewind your VCRs. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, and listen to it again, because it, it might, you'll catch things the second time that you didn't the first time. We should talk about it now. So I think the first theme or the first element we're going to talk about is plot and character. And this version I thought was super unique because it, it had elements that weren't in other versions, particularly what people do and the part they play in the overall story. And that's why I think I chose it, because it had a very hopeful ending. I don't know the extent of how people were involved in the other ones, but I, I do think it, it really makes a big difference in the story. A huge difference. Some stories just talked about the brothers and their endless battle. There wasn't really interesting a part for the people, really, except that they were noticing the unbalanced nature. They were there. They were there. Basically. They noticed. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, yeah, okay. this one brings in a whole other psychological effect of people and what we can say about that yes. in our current times. But shall we start with the brothers? Yes. Do you want to talk about your brother? Not not your brother brother. My your brother? king brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, my brother works in... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually wanted to talk more about the sibling dynamic. Because we've seen mm, that before. Okay. Everyone's seen that before. It's a very common trope. And historically, mm -hmm. that was always true. Because the oldest brother will always inherit... And because of that, there was death and there was murder and there was chaos. And usually brothers were pitted against each other for that reason. Or it was just a masculine thing. They just wanted to outdo each other. Good old-fashioned rivalry, right? Hmm. I feel like that's the dynamic here. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. I even had examples. If you're thinking of myth. And the polar opposites, you know, God and Lucifer would be those polar opposites. And then diverging from their origin. <laughs> yeah, to taking sides. And in this one, it's a lot more, like you said, hopeful because there's a coming together at the end. So it really is like, if you imagine a circle, you know, it really is start at the top, go all the way around and then back to the middle again, because you have that. Uh, midpoint of separation and then you have that end point where they're they're back working together again it's not like they're best friends or anything but there's definitely like a respect there yeah of what the other represents and most religions will have that as a prophecy wouldn't they to have the birth being the same the opposites being in midpoint and then at the end of times coming back together wouldn't that be the most satisfying? You know? Holly, yeah. <laughs> it is, though. It is. Because even uh, my other examples were Odin and Loki. Oh. In the Norse mythology, Odin and Loki were actually brothers. And Loki became the mischievous one. 
Yeah. And that's not really in this as much. I would agree. The Holly, for parts of the story, becomes dark. Because even they say in Greek mythology, Hades is not the king of death. He's just the overseer Mm. of it. So maybe he's more like that. That's what I was thinking when you said Odin was Hades and Zeus. Yeah. Sort of twin, well, not even twins, just brothers on opposite sides. Yes. Another great example. And my modern example, (laughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. Interesting. Brothers starting off loving each other, then separating Mm -hmm. because they have like their missions and purposes that get them blindsided. And in the case of Star Wars, they never actually reunite. Their story is that it destroyed them. Which is similar to what it's taken from, right? In terms of like Christianity, isn't that sort of the end game? Is that there's destruction? Or no, am I wrong about that? They don't come together, do they? It'd be interesting to do a separate episode because there's different interpretations about the revelation part of the Bible. Because some people do see it as a rejoining of like chaos and order. And then others just see it as the defeat of evil, of Lucifer. But not everybody would agree with that. It's interesting. Well, and people have probably been debating it for thousands of years, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to solve it in 45 minutes. (laughs) Here we go. Hang on. (laughs) I think it would be safe to say that in paganism and the neo-paganism, they get the circle like what you were describing. They get that eventually mm. it's going to be a rejoining and not a destruction. Again, why this story is right. important because in nature-based religions, they do see the benefit of the opposites. They're not going to try to destroy each other. They're going to try to resolve. That makes sense to me. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's weird. It just That just makes sense to me. I think it makes sense to a lot of people. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Okay. Is it just like because it's called neo-paganism, people see pagan and they're like, mm. I suppose there's some connotations to that. Yeah. yeah. Even when you say Wiccan, right? People are like, yeah. oh, is that like, oh, that's like a weird witch. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They've never been burned at the stake before, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, no harm there. And you did mention, okay, I had a note here, my catharsis note, which you did say already. The nice part about this story is the resolve that they're able to come back together when they realize they need each other. One cannot live without the other. Harry. Yeah. Wait, what's Harry Potter's prophecy? Both need to die. Neither one can live. It's the same either way. I don't know what the actual... Rachel, I'm so sorry that we butchered this. You'll have to correct us in person. Uh, But there is a prophecy. But that applies here, too, which is that when things become chaotic, I would even say apocalyptic, that the brothers, they loved each other, but it was even more than that. Evidence was saying, oh, I literally cannot exist without this other half of me. Mm. And that was the cathartic part. Total sidebar. But does this relate in any way to the brothers in the Bible who one killed the other, didn't he? Cain and Abel. Oh, interesting, because in that story, one was favored over the other. And in this story, people favored one over the other. So you're right. But in this one, the people had some sort of agency, like they were able to actually affect the world. And they realized, which is very rare. I'm just like, wow, you have a really optimistic view of humanity, where like humanity actually is like, 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We we need the dark part too. Okay. And I that's uh, impressive. I'm like, yeah. Everybody read the story. Look at what it's saying. <laughs> Balance. It's a good thing. It's not so bleak, is it? As the Christian basis of that same trope. It is very hopeful. There is power within the people there. You're right. I never actually thought of it that way. It's not just the brothers doing their thing. Like, I think I get the sense of in Greek mythology where they're just like in their own world, literally. And the people are just like, eh, whatever. But in this one, it's they actually all work together. They're all part of the same network. I don't know. How did I not see that before? <laughs> okay, if you're thinking about people's influence in mythologies, I'll say mythologies. Before Christianity and paganism, people had a part to play and they did have influence. Even in the Greek stories, people changed the minds of gods. I mean, they were mm. on different levels, sure, but people had a huge part to play and they could make change that way. Mm. But then as soon as Christianity came, that separation got so huge. You're not even allowed to know God. Mm. I mean, yeah, you're loved. Mm. That's great. It is great. In that's that sense, that's great. it's amazing. <laughs> but you can't be anything like him. You can be like my son, Christ. This is Christ. He's like the son. Be cool. Mm. But you can't be like God. So it's so interesting how far we got. We have no part in that myth. We are just the children. Right. I kind of wanted to reread putting down of the swords section from the story. And this is, again, why the story is so different from the rest. It reads... The Oak King had no heart for the fight. He laid down his sword and spear. He came open-handed to his brother, who was struggling to stay on his feet. The Oak King wrapped the Holly King in a tight embrace and promised to help his brother heal. We've seen that scene in stories before, too. Hmm. On the battlefield, the most beautiful moment, instead of fighting, is the laying down of arms. Right? Right. I couldn't remember like any specific examples, but I know I've seen it. Can you think of any? <laughs> but it, I do recall like seeing it or at least reading about it um, in some version of a story. Well, the, I guess the average youth today would see in Marvel the big battle, the big fight. That's what they're waiting for. The movies where the two armies like approached and instead of fighting, mm. they would have two representatives, usually the head army people. I don't know. Or sometimes the rival <laughs> brothers, sometimes even the brothers would come mm. together and lay their arms down mm -hmm. saying, I don't, we don't want to do this. And there's another way mm. to resolve it. It paints the world in gray as opposed to black and white. And I think a lot of people, especially in films, because you have such a limited time and the status of our society at the moment, people like the black and white. They like good and evil. You know, they like everything to be simplified and having an ending like that is not it's gray we all have flaws and whether it's the bad guy or the good guy who lays down the arms what matters is that they both do it you know yes. that there is room for change but you don't have a darth vader like character in those ways it's not flat enough exactly i yeah i think it would be nice to see more often I sound like an old person. It's just so much violence <laughs> in movies. <laughs> and everybody's fighting and nobody resolves anything. Which is why I'm mentioning it. It would be a revival of an old idea that I think is necessary and needed at the time. Because we are oversaturated with the war. I mean, I don't. this doesn't 
it's not totally the same, but in Black Panther, you know, they we establish the bad guy, well, the sub bad guy who's also in Wakanda, and later they go to him for help, and there's sort of this like open arm hand sort of thing. Like they're going for desperation, but there is like a bad guy, quote unquote, character who kind of meets them in the middle. Yes. And is able to support and there's like a mutual and there's like better relations between those two. Yes. That's a good one. Not something you would expect, maybe. I mean, I didn't expect anything that happened in Black Panther. I was like, this is amazing. I love yeah, this movie. Yeah. So And then sorry, one more thing, one more thing. I promise I don't mean to talk yeah, so much no, about totally, these You you or maybe I somebody along the way mentioned that the oak and the holly king could also represent one person with a split personality. Hmm. And psychologically that makes sense. And maybe we'll talk about it later, which is that the unbalance of ourselves is that we favor the Yoke King and try to push away the Holly King. We like the light. We hate the dark. That's, again, not how it works. And that's why we can call ourselves unbalanced in that way. Totally. So I like this theory because it meant that there was an internal struggle within the one deity mm. saying that, oh, well, the people like this part of me, so I'm just going to push it. Interesting. And like, oh, now I'm feeling sick. Something's wrong. Now I have to go into my deep inner self and try to revive the Holly King. Hmm. What do you think of that? Yeah. That's cool. I like that. It kind of zooms out from the story even more. Like, I feel like it's like a zoom out within a zoom out. If you look at it as like one body of work, like this is one character within itself. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It doesn't really matter the labels you use for it. The meaning behind it is the same, which is that you can't really have one without the other. Like the Oak King is literally in the story, growth and vitality, fertility and abundance. It's like, well, yeah, I'm on board with that. And Holly King, my boy, is withering and decay, stillness and hibernation. And it's like, well, which would you rather have? Decay? Or warmth and growth. <laughs> but it's true. It's it's very much like confronting the shadow in psychological terms. You have to confront the shadow every once in a while. Otherwise, that shadow world just gets bigger and bigger and the light world gets smaller and smaller. And before you know it, like they flipped and there's, you know, a reason to do those things. There's a reason to find balance in everything emotionally again, psych psychologically, and, and like what we've talked about in your environment. I mean, even just like having plants in the house can bring that sense of growth and vitality to something that is otherwise still, I wouldn't say it's decaying, but it's cold. You know, it's still, there's nothing there that's like growing necessarily. And I think that's a, a big thing that makes even just your living room feel like a different space. Yes. I'll get off my podium. Oh, no, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I'm probably just reiterating it, which is death and rebirth cycle is in these two plants here. Yeah. You're saying their growth only goes so high because there's nothing new. What's going to happen next? Nothing. Yeah. So the opposite of that is to see it change. Uh, theory. The Garden of Eden is lacking the Holly King. Done. <laughs> no wonder it Pack didn't up, last. everybody. We, we solved it. It's done. <laughs> Staying in one state forever, it just won't work it, mathematically, yeah. physically, psychologically. Right. It translates from like every aspect of life. So I think that's why it's so like it feels like a myth because you can literally 
metaphorically put it into anything. And it, it's still true. That's it. In the searching for this story, there are many, many, many cultures who use the exact same idea, which is at the beginning, there were two deities, one of the north, one mm. of the south, or one of the cold, one of the warm, light, dark, all of that. And what happens is every year they'll do battle, twice a year, I should say. They'll do battle, usually around the winter solstice and then usually around the summer solstice. And it makes sense. Everything revolved around how to get food and food needed the sun. So when the sun wasn't there, of course, you're going to tell stories about something happening up there. And it's usually in the form of conflict. It has to be in conflict because why else would the sun go away? <laughs> and the two ones that I think I'm going to mention oh, cool. are actually the indigenous ones because the indigenous nice. ones came the closest to the Holly and the Oak King story. There is one in Canada. The tribe is Abeneki. What's up, Abeneki? They use the idea of giants, that there was a giant of the north, there was a giant of the south, and the tribe's leader, whose name was Glooskap, his people were dying because it was too cold, and he convinced the giantess, oh, by the way, it was a female giant of the south. See, this is an, something I was going to bring up. I mean, if you're going to do, like... This whole siblings opposite but equal, it seems like a perfect opportunity to do twins that are male and female. I understand the brother thing. It's a very old trope and it makes a lot of sense, especially in a patriarchy, which is what we lived in since the beginning of civilization. But it, it really makes a lot more sense that there's sort of this like mutual respect and equality. But the idea being that it makes sense to have representation of both genders if we're going to be looking at balance. I mean, maybe nowadays that's not true. I mean, there's a lot of non-binary people and there always has been. There's just not been a term for it. So maybe that isn't a great example. I don't know. I just talked myself out of it. <laughs> no, let's keep gender aside. And we're talking about masculinity and femininity, which exists yeah. in everything, no matter what you are or who you are. True. Very well put. And you're right. I think if you add it all up, let's say you gathered all of the myths about the changing of season, it would probably equal out because there is mm. femininity and masculinity in the changing of seasons, depending on where you are on the earth and what your people do mm. to survive. Something like the Greek myth Demeter is going to be the goddess of fertility and greenery and agriculture because for them, the female was the vital. It makes sense. I mean, even just with the story that I read from the Japanese culture, they have one central character who varies greatly across the entire country based on the area in terms of exactly that. Like the northern tales are much different than the southern tales because they have completely different elements that they're working with. So it makes, makes total sense. And I'm glad to yeah. acknowledge that because even though we did pick the story, it does exist that there's the male and female or the brother and the sister or even the love story, actually, and some of them had mm. the North and the South meeting, getting mm. married, and then realizing that they needed to stay separate for parts of the year and then join only Aww. in those summer and winter solstices. Yeah. That's so sweet. There's a lot of ways <laughs> to do that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. And the Abenaki story, the giantess, they don't do battle. What they do is that they trick the northern giant by distracting him with a story. 
And she just like for a long time stays around and her influence starts to bring green back before the, the giant even realizes what's happening. Oh, my God. So he, he sort of concedes to her. He's like, well, you're more powerful than I am. I'll leave. And she's like, no, 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 don't go. I have my territory. I need to get back there. But you can stay here for half of the year and I'll come back. There's a good resolve there, too, where it begins as a war and ends with resolution. Very nice. Very good pattern. Same thing with the second one that I just wanted to mention, which is very close to our home, by the way. Ooh. This is the Akoma and the Laguna tribes. And they had, instead of giants, they had spirits, a northern and southern spirit. It was two male deities, and they were trying to fight for a wife, a woman, the same woman, the chief's daughter. So this one's a little more like, yeah, of course, typical. <laughs> and they do go to war. They're using parts of nature. to. It's kind of an epic battle scene. And it's cool to read about. But even at the end of that battle, they agree to do half and half. If I remember right, the southern spirit does get the chief's daughter, and which is good because they wanted the sun more often than the cold. Mm. So they were like, okay, cool. So he gets to live with us. But the first husband, who was the north, also gets to hang around half the year. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I like, you know, violent movies and true crime and things that are like gritty and difficult. But it's so nice to occasionally have a story where it's like, People realize their mistake and then work together. It's just very nice and um, hopeful. And historians would probably say that with every end of a war, there is a resolve. But we're saying a mutual resolve, not a, well, we obviously won the war. Your government has no power over us, so we're going to deem that you do this. That's, that's not quite what we're talking about. We know that there's resolutions after a war, but we're talking about the both parties agreeing half and half. Equal. Same power, equality. That's, that's different. One of the things that I thought was really cool, was, which we've kind of touched on, uh, was that, I'm going to read you the line. The people began to see that their support of warmth and light over cold and darkness had altered the balance of the whole world. Simple. It's so simple, but it's just like this realization and recognition that something is imbalanced that really makes the quote people, you know, the general masses seem so much more invested in their environment and like what actually is happening to them. Like they see the cause and effect of what their beliefs are doing. And by taking sides, they see that they're they're causing their own problems. And I think that's really amazing. It's really nice to see that again in a story. The myth of the Oak and Holly King is there, but it's the people that are making things happen because the Oak and Holly could have just gone on forever. Yeah. Battling each other and it would have stayed balanced and they would have never resolved the whole if they actually love each other. So suddenly the people become the main character. Yeah. And they said they put their bodies, their spirits, their minds toward the Oak King, which is interesting. It's right. like almost like magic. They're saying like, well, we exist now and we know that there's a battle up there. We're going to take a side. Right. And I think in the way that it's put in the story is very realistic in that sense, where it's like people loved light and warmth and they fear darkness and cold. And so each year they would celebrate the victory of the Oak King, but they would mourn the victory of the Holly King. And then, like, you know, cut to 
20 years later, I don't know how long of a time goes by, people are like, huh, this isn't working. (laughs) If you think in mythic terms, it was probably like hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah. I actually have this as a whole subject to talk about in in a minute, which is global warming, the effects of human on light and dark. And it literally means what you do to the earth. And we tend to favor light. That could mean burning of gases. That could mean use of technologies, of being active constantly. That's what the symbolism of light is for us right now, which is that we're overusing it. And we're not even acknowledging that there is a dormancy period that doesn't exist anymore in society. We're agriculture-based and we're, we're excessive and we have enough of it to sustain. So we're going to make ourselves big in population. And that's exactly what's happening. We are in this tale right now. I'm just going to throw this in there. I do honestly think that we're seeing some of that transition from people recognizing what's going on based on their beliefs, even in the last like 30 years. I mean, not even in the last like 25 years or 20 years, just the difference of global warming talk, how people talk about it and recycling and things like that. That conversation is much different now. You'll still have Republicans who are like global warming isn't real, but they are few and far between. They usually just don't say anything because they know it's real now and they were wrong. Um, We don't need them to admit that they were wrong. We just need them to, like, fix the problem. And I I do think that we are seeing that. It's just slow and at the very end of the race. So it's it's not great, but it's we have a chance, I think, maybe. (laughs) Agreed. And I like the way they put it in the story. If I can read this part, the whole world began to get warmer Summer began sooner and lasted longer. Ice that had been frozen for longer than the longest memory of the oldest person in the land began to melt. Hello. It gets better. It says migrating birds and animals began to be confused about when to begin their migration. Plants found themselves rooted in climates that no longer supplied their needs. The air was changing. The winds were changing. There was no rain. I mean, like, look, all of this stuff is global warming. It is what's happening now. So it's interesting that they would take this vocabulary because we favored this one side for so long the result is that it's catastrophe and we won't survive without the other half and it's so deceptive because it's like of how who would not want light and warmth again like going back to just the most basic aspect of it 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 feels like it makes sense but that's if you look at anything a little bit deeper you know that that's just not how it works you have to have both in order for everything to be balanced. And just like ecosystem wise, so many of them are being destroyed even just by felling trees, let alone what we're doing to our environment. It's it's sensitive. It's very sensitive. If you describe what's happening to a child, you're saying like, yeah, our society's getting really advanced and smart about things. It's not intrinsically a bad thing. It would be called improvement. Technology is an improvement. This is the highest we've ever been in. Well, theoretically, it's the highest we've ever been in, in our intelligence. Because I'm sure in this story, if we're talking about agricultural sustainability, right? Like they're growing crops. They're trying to build fires so they can be awake longer. That wasn't a bad thing either. They needed to survive. You're saying like, oh, yeah, well, we were doing good and we will do good. But we need to reevaluate that goodness, what it means to be good. And, you know, putting our resources into better ways of doing those things makes a huge difference. Having light at night 
to be able to do things changed civilization, whether that was by candlelight or by electricity or whatever. That's not an issue, you know, and that's not what's ruining our environment. It's what we're using to fuel those things. I think trying to explain something like that to a child can be very nuanced and difficult, but it's just about how much you use something. It's like if you have every single light on in your house at night. It's not necessary. You don't need every single light on. It's really simple. That's like a balanced way of using light at night. It's like Jurassic Park. Everything goes back to Jurassic <laughs> Park. It, it's not a question of can we, it's a question of should we. And our innovativeness, it's not a word, is always going to come first because we're obsessed with if we can. But asking those questions, those moral questions and like repercussional questions, just making words up <laughs> I love it. right. It really does make the difference because it's like, yeah, you know, we absolutely should have dinosaurs. There's no question about it. But also maybe not. Certain people believe we coexisted with dinosaurs. Scientifically speaking, we did not. And it's it's best not to bring those very large carnivores back. But again, it's dinosaurs, so of course you have to, you know. In my mind, that's what the winter symbolism is for, that reflection part that we're missing, which is, yes, we can, but what happens next? Everything that you do, you need a reflection half. That's what your, like, dormancy period is for, is slowing down because physically the cold is making you slow down. Yeah. To stop doing, doing, doing. Yes. I mean, I do think these concepts, I mean, I don't know about myths in general, but it's taking very large concepts that you could metaphorically put onto anything and making it very simple while not being black and white. And I think that is really incredible and what a lot of like spiritual leaders really are preaching a lot of the time in terms of balance is is that sort of idea. You know, it all goes back to Jurassic Park. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be our eternal loop. Well, it's just like Jurassic Park. <laughs> but really, though, it kind of is because Jurassic Park is brilliant because it's a very simple idea. Bring back dinosaurs. That's the entire idea. And we talked about this in our very first episodes. When we talked about Aristotle, the simple ideas are the ones that stick with us. Jaws, it's a killer shark. That's the whole concept. But it's simple and we put everything onto it because they're caricatures. You can you can see them for what they are and they can still be nuanced. It's really incredible. For example, you are really good at taking a lot of information and then bringing it into its simplest form and like telling you what that whole thing was saying. I am terrible at that. Like, I have no idea how to do that. But that's like one of your like skills that you're really good at. And I think that that's something that's really beneficial in storytelling, especially in something like this. You could take this basic concept and you could make a, a saga out of it. And you could really bury the theme under a lot of pretty images that would still be compelling. But in the very end, you would still end up with this. It's beautiful. <laughs> Another applause here. <laughs> 
The last thing is the specific symbolism as it pertains maybe to the Celts, even though it's still fairly new. 1970s is really not that long ago. Decades ago. Remember the 70s? <laughs> but the symbolism is old. If we want to focus on the Oak King and the Holly King as their plant symbol, yeah. or as their figures symbolize even, even today, actually, what they look like and what they do is very specific. And maybe we should start with the Oak King, because I want to end with the Holly King in the season that we need the Holly King to be strong. Tis the season for the Holly King. Tis the season. And we mentioned already that his symbolism, strength, endurance, vitality, but more specifically, he's the oak tree. In Northern Europe, the oak tree is very prominent, very beautiful. Its branches expand not only upward, but outward. And the, you know, the oaks that fall, they use all of the materials from these trees. They did in the ancient times, they do now. And it has acorns. Can't you, like, <laughs> other than eating it, they, they use the acorns and, like, a lot of stuff, don't they? I think so. In my elementary school, we had a huge oak tree and it would always drop acorns. And so I remember a lot of us, like, getting to actually look at an acorn and, like, peel them. And, and, and it's just a very tangible thing. Exactly. And the fact that it's edible. If you see art of the oak king or, you know, some depictions of him... He'll look actually like the forest guy, like the, the green man, usually with a mm. bunch of leaves, maybe leaves for a face. It reminds me of the Ents from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, it has a lot of that sort of old, wise, kind of like the old wise woman in Pocahontas, a little bit more fatherly feeling, yes. you know? Um, but he has that sort of presence of like, I am ancient. I can be wise, and I am a tree. And you're like, okay, cool, great. Exactly. It's been used quite a bit as far as the forest man or the green man. And then the holly king. This one I thought was was interesting, too. I didn't know anything about the holly, to be honest. We don't really have, well, I guess we have some, like, evergreens in New Mexico. Mm. But the idea of a, of a holly leaf is that it stays green all year long. Mm. But to do so, it has to be pretty vicious, which is why it's like rough and pointy mm. and why the berries that grow on a holly are inedible. They're poisonous. And I read, of course, this is a gross detail, but I read somewhere that if you, if you split one open, it looks almost like semen. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, for, I forget why they mentioned that detail, because they were saying that holly was used for indoors celebrating Christmas, like a Christmas tree or the reefs or mistletoe. And under mistletoe, they were saying, because this is the only thing that's growing during winter, this is the time when you can kiss somebody mm. who you're not married to. People are weird. Yeah, there's a sexuality symbolism around the holly, apparently. Which also makes sense, like in terms of forbidden fruit and it looking sweet but being toxic. There's a lot of things there. Right. tie in. And the other thing that they said, which is the crown made of holly in this case, would have been... Ouch. Yeah, it have been really thorny. Yeah. And what other crown of thorn do we know of? Um, The Muppets. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> they did like a Last Supper Muppets, didn't they? Did they? Oh, man. No, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's super weird. <laughs> but yeah, they were connecting the holly crown with Christ's crown of thorns. Yeah. And that might be stretching it a little bit. But maybe hmm. not. 
And then furthermore, the depiction of the Holly King is said to be wearing red and sometimes accompanied by eight stags. Is one of them named Nixon? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's George <laughs> and Lincoln and George and Lincoln. Madison. <laughs> Wow. Very good. I give her like 100 points for that. That was good. <laughs> Father Christmas. That's a very much uh, depicted. Father Christmas, I think, is depicted sometimes more like the Holly King than like our Santa Claus would be. Although I guess an old Santa Claus is very similar to Father Christmas. So they're all interconnected. But there's a lot of that like a Christmas carol, the second ghost feel to it. Oh, yeah. And that also has a connection to Christ. It all comes around. If we are the people in the story and we face the holly king or the darkness or the decay or whatever it is that in the end the oak king will always come to our aid you know in ourselves so i i really do think that by accepting and like respecting the holly king the oak king is able to embrace you and without that acknowledgement and the people acknowledging it then you have global warming you know, everything's out of whack and it doesn't make sense and there's no balance and like the things are changing and animals don't know where to go and you're just like a mess. The end. So as always, a huge thank you to our patrons, Jesse M, Jeanette M, J.R. Keeler and Thunderfly. Your support is amazing and we appreciate it so much. As always, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bite the Pen, and you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash bite the pen. You can email us your thoughts, questions, ideas, and that's at bite the pen at gmail.com. Have a great holiday, be safe, and stick around for one more piece of beautiful speaking. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. Thank you. Thank you. So the exit quote is from a website that no longer exists, witchvox.com. But one of the bloggers has the following to say about this particular story and about the Holly King. Why do we deck the halls with boughs of holly? This day is the Holly King's day. The Dark Lord reigns. He is the god of transformation and one who brings us to birth new ways. Why do you think we make New Year's resolutions? We want to shed our old ways and give way to the new. Mm -hmm.